Hey, this is Brian Golden, lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast. I also really want to thank you for taking the time to listen. And I want to let you know that now you can watch these messages as well, anytime and anywhere. And the easiest way to do that is on the Centerpoint Church app. In addition to that, the Centerpoint app is also the easiest way to stay connected with what's happening at Centerpoint. So go to your favorite app store, search Centerpoint Church Florida, and you'll find it right there. Most importantly, I really want to say if you're a longtime follower of Jesus, or maybe you're just investigating who Jesus is, I really hope this message encourages you to take your next step in your journey of faith or in your journey of investigating faith. Thanks again for listening. We're really focusing on this series, Blood and Thunder, is seeing a move of God and seeing God do something in our, our community. And all of us, like, whether you believe Jesus or not, whether you uh, affirm the scriptures, whether you are a religious person, no matter where you kind of categorize yourself, like, all of us want God to move. And generally, we want him to move for us, though. Right? And again, you're like, you don't believe in the Bible, and you're like, I don't want God to move. Like, have you ever found yourself sitting in a classroom and say, dear God, please help me pass this test? Lord, I, if you're up there, I didn't study. And I'm just going to ask for you to supernaturally impart the wisdom of this class to my brain. I didn't pay attention. I was texting girls the whole time, Lord. But you have the power or move his arm a little bit so I can see his answers. Cheat off of him. Right? Like we've all found ourselves, whether, again, doesn't matter what you believe theologically. You might be like, I'm agnostic or atheist or whatever. But you found yourself where it's a funny situation like that or it's a situation where, like, God, my dog ran away. I just really, really want my dog back. Or, God, this, this marriage is not working out, and you find yourself where you want God to move on your behalf, and you find yourself saying things like, God, if you're even there, could you help me? God, could you move for me on my behalf? And you might not have all of faith figured out, which newsflash for you, no one has all of faith figured out. So you're in great company. But the reality is we get really excited and really needy for God to work on behalf of us. But the question I have is, are we excited and passionate about God doing something and working through us when we work on the behalf of God? Because we want to receive God's power, but do we want to be God's power in our communities? And that's what this whole series is about, is blood and thunder. Thunder is the power of God coming in and doing something powerful. But the blood part, the sacrifice part, is you and I, is people doing things. And that's why we as a church, we want to be all about doing things. Because the evidence of God moving in me is me actually moving. And that's why we created this church, and we have a great uh, lead pastor, and we have a great story of people who've come and have sacrificed so much because they want to create an alternative to church as usual. And so many of you, you've said, man, like, like I have come back to the church because, you may not put it this way, but because other people moved on God's behalf. And that's why we as a church, we want to create a church that's alternative to church as usual, but also to tear away every unnecessary barrier for people to find life and freedom in Jesus. Like, that's our whole goal. And I'll tell you, too, the, the barriers that we talk about, like, the barriers, it's, it's things like, like, you have to be okay before you can come in. Like, you have to agree with me theologically before I extend love to you. And that, you don't see that in Scripture at all, honestly. But there's a lot of things where we go and say, man, you have to dress a certain way, talk a certain way. Or people on the stage, some of you, you've walked away from church because people on the stage are talking at such an intellectual level that you feel left out and behind because you don't know all the Bible stories. 
And barriers like that are going to push people away. And instead, what we do as a gathering of believers, and if you're excited about this, you can make some noise about this in a second, is we want to create a church that is for everybody and anybody that tears away every unnecessary barrier. Who is here is excited about creating that kind of a church? Now, as we do that, there's a lot of things that we have to do. There's a lot of things we're going to be in situations that are uncomfortable for us. And again, if you're not a Jesus follower, like, you're so welcome here. I hope you get some stuff from what we're talking about today. But there's a lot of things you can just be like, hey, I don't want to do that. And that's totally fine. But what I'd say is, is this will actually help every person here. Because one of the primary ways that we see God moving in us and through us pertains to our finances. And also... One of the areas that we need to find freedom in life for most of us is the area of finances, the area of generosity. Now, for a lot of us, you say, man, like, I don't know why I need life and freedom. Like, I have money. I'm not in bondage, and we're going to talk about that. But for some of us, what we have to know and understand is when money has an unhealthy place in our lives, it ends up making our lives unhealthy. And for a lot of us, again, you might say, well, that's not me, but you know somebody that that's them. Right? Like you've seen someone cheating, you've seen someone stealing, you see someone you're at work and you see someone do some shady thing because money has an unhealthy place in their lives. Maybe you've been on the receiving end of people working too hard and even feeling like they're neglecting the family because they're just trying to consume and get more and have more. And you see when money has an unhealthy place in our lives, it eventually will make our lives unhealthy. And if this is you today, what I'd say first is you're not alone in this. Like, like some of us, even when we start talking about money, you feel guilty about money. You're like, man, if you only knew the dumb things I did with money. And what I'd say is you've done dumb things with money, and that just makes you an adult. Because who here hasn't done dumb stuff with money that's over 15? Right? Like if you have money, you've done dumb stuff, dumb stuff with money. And that's why so many of us, if you look at statistics, it's staggering. 78% of people live paycheck to paycheck. So for you, you're living paycheck to paycheck, and it's funny like, you feel like you're the only one, or you're all looking around like, well, that's not me. Definitely not me. Well, statistics would say it is you, probably, without even knowing your, your financial picture. Or, or normal is, is $38,000 per person for non-mortgage debt in America. Now, here's the deal. That doesn't sound like freedom to me. That doesn't sound like life. And this is something where we have to understand with finances, this is the area we have to find life and freedom because when we can find freedom in our finances, God will use our finances to do incredible things and have incredible power through what we're able to do and what we're able to give. But we're so funny about money, at least, at least in our country, right? I've never lived in another country, so I don't know how they handle money. But here in America, like, it is uncomfortable. Like, if I asked you how much you made, you probably would be offended. If I asked you how much your car costs, you probably would be offended, right? It's really uncomfortable. We got in a circle and we say, hey, hey, everyone, go around and talk about how much debt you have. You'd feel ashamed. You wouldn't want to talk about it. You would hardly be able to write it down on a piece of paper and give it to someone to read anonymously. Why? Because we handle money so, such, in such a weird way. And I think part of that is even how the church has handled money. Like the church, you see, uh, there's some different false teachings. I'd say some lies that people kind of share in regards to money. There's one side of over here with like the prosperity message of like you can blab it and grab it. You can name it and claim it. God just wants you to have a healthy life and have be financially well. And this is what I tell you. I think God does want people to be wealthy, but we'll talk about the kind of people God wants to be wealthy. But here, here's the problem because that message really at the core of it is saying in order to show God's blessings in your life, you have to have material things. 
you have to be healthy. The problem is what happens when you get cancer? Like what happens when you get sick or they get sick or you file for bankruptcy or something happens or you got to step away and you can't make the money that you were making? Like that brings in a question, is God blessing me? Does God love me? Does God care for me? And the answer to all those things is yes. It's just not always through your material possessions. And you have this side over here of prosperity where it's like you got you to gotta have stuff in order to have the blessing of God. And at the core of that, it's what we call legalism because you're saying you have to have Jesus plus anything to order God's, in order to have God's blessings. But on the other side, some of us have heard the message of the poverty side of the gospel, where it's bad to have anything, where stuff is bad and rich people obviously are ungodly, right? Like, like if you have anything nice and material possessions are seen as, as immoral and wrong and you shouldn't have that, and basically what the core of that message is, is that if I don't have stuff, then I have God's righteousness. And through self-denial, through not having things, I earn more favor with God, which is right back to the same spot of legalism because you're saying Jesus plus something equals blessings and favor. See, we've kind of messed this up all over the place with money, and this is where we get kind of funny when we talk about finances and we feel uncomfortable because if we're honest, people like me on stages have kind of said some bad things and hurtful things about money. Because the reality is, is money is simply a responsibility. And you're going to see this as we look through some passages of Scripture, because Scripture talks so much about money, but it wants us to understand that money is simply a responsibility. It's not a reward. Like, and when you show yourself to be responsible, generally you handle money in a responsible way and you get more of it which is anything that all of us would do. If you have kids who are responsible, the more they're responsible, the more you give them so that they can continue to be responsible and grow in that. So, so the question we got to figure out is how do we get a healthy view of money? And this is, again, where I think Scripture, again, if you're not a Jesus follower and you're not sure about the whole God thing, like what I'd say is just try out what it says about money. Just, just try it out because, again, normal is broken, isn't it? And if you want to continue to get what normal gets, keep being normal. But if you want to say, I want to change not just my life, but I want to change my family tree and my legacy and the financial picture and how money controls our family or doesn't control our family, then I would say just try some of this stuff because Scripture actually talks about money about 2,300 times. It's all over the place in there. In Jesus' teachings, he talked about money. About 15% of any teaching that he did had to do with money because it's so important because God wants more than just money. He wants us. But he knows so often money gets in the way of him having us. Or of us having him, rather. But in order to have a healthy view of money, we got to confront some lies around money. And one of the primary lies that we believe, that you believe, that I believe, is that it's all from my hands and it's all for my hands. That I am the cause to making money. And because I work hard and I'm diligent, I make money. And because I make it, then I'm the authority on it and I should keep it all because it's all from me. Therefore, it's all for me. And, and for real, some of you, you've worked hard. You've studied, and you passed the test, and you got the certification. You did all the things where you're learning stuff, and I'd say, awesome job. You did really good. But here's the only problem with that is, who made you? Like, who made your brain? Who decided how tall you were? For some of you, you wish you could have decided how tall you were, Right? Even you see these incredible athletes and they're, they're playing sports and they do all these, like, like, yes, they put in the time and they have some God-given talents, but here's the deal. Their parents are also pretty good athletes generally. 
And like if both of your parents are under 6'10 or 5'10, most everybody's parents are under 6'10. You'd be weird if your parents were both over 6'10. But if both of your parents are under 5'10, like I, I love you, but you're not playing professional basketball. Okay, just that's just reality of what it is. Like you're just not going to do it. Because again, you don't have control over everything you think you have control over. And even if you studied and worked hard, you simply enhanced what was in you. Didn't you didn't make what was in you. So the idea of it's all for you and it's all from you and for you really starts to break down when you understand you're not the whole cause for everything, and this will give you freedom. Because one of the things that's so closely related with money is anxiety. Because you're worried about having enough. You're worried that you won't have enough. You're worried about making it. You're about keeping your job. You're about all these things, and you think that it's all about you, and therefore you put all the weight on your shoulders. But the reality, the truth that we have to embrace to have a healthy view of money is that God owns everything. Like, God owns everything. This guy, David, said in Scripture that he was a man after God's own heart. He said it this way in one of his poetic writings where he said, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, in it the world and all who live in it. See, David believed everything belonged to God. He put it in a nice poetic way, but also Jesus came back and he actually affirmed this teaching that everything is from God because Jesus would go around again. A bunch of his teaching had to do with money. And he'd use these parables, these illustrations, these made-up stories to illustrate a true point. And he started so many of them about money in this same kind of way. And Matthew recorded one of his stories, and this is how Jesus started this, this story. It says, for it will be like, this is talking about when God's kingdom comes and how God handles things with people. It will be like a man going on a journey who he called to his servants and entrusted them with whose property? His property. Now, you're not the man in this story. God's always the owner in the stories, and we're always the stewards. We're always the one handling stuff. And how foolish would it be for the steward, the person handling stuff, to think it was theirs? Kind of like for you, if you have a workspace at your job, at your place of employment, you have a workspace, like you have an office, like I have an office, like that office is not mine, right? Like I might treat it like it's mine. I might put up pictures of my family. I might have things, but like end of day, it's not mine because if I leave my job, which I don't want to leave my job, but if I had to leave my job for whatever reason, I don't take the office with me. I take all the stuff out of the office and I leave. And this is the same idea as the stuff that you have is not all from you, and it's not all for you. It is all from God, and God entrusts it to us, and he, he still owns it. He just says we can use it. And really, we have to steward it well, because everything comes from God. See, and David is a guy, he didn't just think about this. He didn't just write about this. He actually lived this out. He actually believed it. If you look through his life, he was constantly giving crazy amounts of money away, and always doing things to serve God. And not just with his money, but with his entire life. He was always trying to serve God and do things. And David, uh, what happened, if you, if you read through, you can read through like Chronicles or First and Second Samuel. Go back in the Old Testament. Read through some of that. If you like violence and war and battle, read some of that stuff. It's all full of people getting cut up and people dying and all sorts of crazy things, okay? If you think church is born, the Bible is born, read some of that stuff. You get woke up. So David goes through and he actually steps and becomes a king. And he realizes it's not all from him and it's not all for him. He understands, I'm the king, but I'm God's king. I need to operate the way God would have me to operate. And he goes around, he starts fighting all the enemies of God. And he's going around and destroying these people, and he gets all their stuff. And destroys those people, and gets all their stuff. And destroys those people, and gets all their stuff. And he is just like rolling deep with all this money, all this gold, all these jewels. And they're building this beautiful temple or palace for him. And he's like, man, this life is good. My house is getting big. Everything's awesome. It's like a hip-hop commercial, rap. Like it's, I mean, all this stuff. Gold chains. 
At least that's my version of David. Maybe not you. Maybe he's wearing like a nice suit and rolling with a Rolls Royce. But David's rolling deep with cash. And he realizes, I have this nice temple or this nice palace. I want you to build a temple for God. I want to show that, that God is worthy of even more than what I have. So we're going to build a temple. And God actually told David, like, actually, hold up. See, David, you're a man of war. And you've been killing people, so you're not the one that's going to be building a temple for me. What I'll do, I'll use your son, but I won't use you because your hands are covered in blood and I have different purposes for different people. Also remember that when God is giving you stuff, he has different purposes for different people. He gave them more, he gave you less. There's a reason for that. I don't know why, but God knows why and just trust his plan. So David goes, thank you for that energy. You know what, it's way more fun when you guys talk back. Tell you what, it is like way more fun. Praise God. There you go. Don't be shy. So this is what David does. He says, okay, so I can't build the temple, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to set up my son to build the temple. And they gather this whole big assembly. We're going to give gifts. We're going to praise God. And this is what happens in Chronicles 29. This is kind of the account of, hey, we're getting together. We're going to give. It's going to be a celebration. It's kind of like what we're going to do on December 8th with our Serve Our City offering that we're going to do. And David goes, and they take from the, the kind of national treasuries, and they give a ton of money from the national treasuries. And David gets in this by giving his own personal wealth away. He says, in that, my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures. This is like his own money, or the money God gave him to entrust with him to steward. I'm going to give my own personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God, over and above everything I provided for this holy temple. I'm going to give 3,000 talents of gold, the gold of effort, and 7,000 talents of refined silver for the overlaying of the walls of the buildings. Now, most of us don't know what a talent is, right? So that doesn't mean anything to you. You're like, great, he gave thousands of things. So a talent is actually a weighted measurement back in that day. And if you take and do the math of the weighted measurement of ounces of silver or gold, and you convert it to dollars in today's market, he gave about $150 million worth of silver, and they give about $5.2 billion worth of gold. Now, I know, I know I was poor growing up, but that's a lot of money, right? Like, as, I, mean, I mean, maybe you're just sitting on that and you're waiting to give that. Like, if you are, that'd be great. Give us $3,000 for our South Campus. We'll turn it into a dream center and bless our whole community. But here's the deal. David gave crazy amounts of money, and this was above and beyond. See, the law that David followed, showing that he trusted God, he would give a percentage of his income. It's always a percentage. It's not a number. It's just a percentage. Because as you have more or you have less, you get the same percentage. You have God using the same discipline you have of giving. So David would give. This was above and beyond all he had been giving. And David, if you actually look, some historians, some scholars would say, David's net worth at the height of his rule was about $89 billion in today's market. But, but here's the deal. David had money, so obviously having money is not a bad thing. I think if we're honest, some of us, like God's called us to make crazy amounts of money. But you never set out to make crazy amounts of money. You, got, you just started doing something. God just started saying, hey, I'm just going to bless you. And you're being responsible. I'm just going to give you more. And you're being responsible. I'm just going to give you more. And then pretty soon you find out, man, I'm making this. I'm making that. I'm making that. And I'm running this thing. I'm making so much money. And God's giving you money. And God gives people money so they can handle it the way he would handle it and bless people the way he would bless people. But you don't wait to give till you have more. That's another lie so many of us believe is that I'll give when I have more. The problem with more, though, is it's always more. 
right? Like you think you, you make, you know, I remember my, my wife and I, when we were first married, we thought, man, we, we were making some money and we were making like, I don't know, like $23,000 a year. Like, like nothing. We were scraping by. Like, it was, it was crazy. And they're like, well, but we were given then because we're like, this is part of what God wants us to do. It doesn't matter what we make. And then we make a little bit more money. We make a little bit more money. And here's the deal. What happens, though, is you say, I'm going to give when I have more. And then you get the promotion. You get the, the bonus. What happens? Generally, we don't give more. Generally, we go get more. And you want to treat yourself to the new car because you got promotion. Right? And like people of my caliber, they need to drive whatever they need to have, whatever. I need to buy a whole new wardrobe. And here's the reality money will not change you, it will only expose you. And money, this is the deal. You can clap, it's okay. I can keep talking. Y'all can hear me with the clapping. Some of you are so timid with the clapping, you're like, okay, okay, he's, he's talking. I gotta stop clapping. You can clap, you can stand up, you can cheer, you can do all sorts of stuff. We're gonna have fun in church every Sunday. Y'all ready to have a good time? Thank you, thank you. So, this, this is the deal money is a magnifier. David was generous when he had nothing, and he trusted on God when he had nothing. So when he had an $89 billion network, he was still trusting on God. See, David never forgot where he came from. He's still David from the block, right? He used to have a little, now he has a lot, but he always remembered where he came from. Southside Bronx, right? That's where David came from. Half of you are like, either you're too old or you're too white to get the J-Lo reference. That's just what it is. Just what it is. I love all of you, and I am... Getting older and white, so I even got it there. But, but here, here's the reality. David knew when he was back watching sheep, literally having nothing, living probably a life of poverty because shepherds were not a glorious profession. He trusted God for power, and he knew God was the thunder coming in to empower him to do what he called him to do. So he got, he'd protect his sheep. He'd be responsible for what he had in that moment, not dreaming of what he'd have one day. Even this is the thing that's crazy. God sent a person named Samuel to go and anoint David and say, you will be the next king of Israel. And then David had to go back out to the sheepfold. And he had to show that he could be responsible there. Knowing there's a promise of what I'm going to be someday, but today i got to make sure I'm being responsible right now. And then David went into battlefields, and he trusted God that, God, you are the power in the battlefield. But guess what? David also trusted that God had power over his bank account. And he gave and showed that God owns everything. And here's the reality. What you believe about money is going to determine how you behave about money, no matter how much you have. So for some of us, again, this is the reality. You've been waiting to give. You've been waiting to be generous, even not even to the church. Again, you're, you know, some of us, we have a hard time with church. You're like, you guys are trying to get money. Like, I'm not even saying giving to the church. I haven't told you where to give yet. I haven't told you where to be generous yet. So where would you want to give? If, you're, if you don't believe in Jesus, here's the deal. It doesn't make any sense for you to give to the church if you don't believe in Jesus. Like it doesn't change your relationship with Jesus. You can't buy your way into favor with God. You can't give your way into grace. And here's the reality is you need to give wherever and right now even what you believe about money. If you believe, man, I'll give when I have more, it means that you don't believe giving's that important. I know that can be kind of a hard pill to swallow, but I think it's true for all of us. And so we begin, we got to go back and be responsible with money the way that God counts responsibility. And how does God view responsibility? How does God want us to handle money? Because, again, money is simply a responsibility. It is not a reward. So how do we handle money? And this is the reality, too. For a lot of us, wealth, we think about wealthy people. Wealth is a mindset, not an amount of money. Wealth is the point where you get where you say, I have enough to meet all of my needs, 
and I don't have to live on everything I make. Because as long as you're meeting all your needs with everything you have, you're always going to be doing that. It's crazy. You hear people, almost 80% of people living paycheck to paycheck. Do you know people who make over $100,000, which a lot of us, if you don't make that much money, it sounds like a lot of money. If you make that much money, you know it's not a lot of money. But people living over $100,000, they still live paycheck to paycheck. And it's all about ratios. And so we got to be responsible. we got to handle money the way God would handle money. And how would he handle money? He would say, give, save, spend. And for us even in particular, we are going to do a special offering in two weeks called For Our City Offering. We give to help things like homelessness and stopping that in our community. We give to food banks. We give to areas where people don't have. We give to uh, in, uh, ministries and industries where they go into schools and they talk about abstinence with children. Like They do all sorts of things that we're going to give because here's the deal. We don't need to be the best at everything. We need to find people who are the best, and then you and I can go and say, hey, I can trust that I'm going to give, and God's going to do something spectacular with my offering. Again, David gave above and beyond. He didn't give just his basic stuff and say, hey, that's enough. He said, everything's from God. Everything's for God. I'm going to give, and guess what? I'm still going to be able to live on stuff because I've determined in my mind to live on a percentage of my income. And all of us live on some percentage of our income. But here's the reality. I think for some of us, if we're honest, you feel shame and you feel guilt around money and even giving and you want to give. You have the desire to give. You just don't have the ability. You know, I, I, have, I have these payments. You're talking about paycheck to paycheck. You're talking about debt. Like I got that and I got that, which again, that makes you normal. Like everybody is like that basically. So I have, I have this desire. I don't have the ability. And what I'd say is, is let's help you with that. Because one of the things that's more valuable than wealth is wisdom. And this is something you see the life of David. He sets up his son Solomon and says, I'm going to give crazy amounts of generosity and, and gold and jewels and all these things. I'm going to give it all the way to help you and set you up to be able to handle and build this temple. But also I'm going to give you wisdom and help you understand how to handle money, how to handle life. And Solomon actually was asked, what is one thing he wants above everything else? And the thing that Solomon wanted above everything else was wisdom. And he grew up in a house that they had everything. He knew he needed wisdom. And for, for us, if we want to start giving and, and be able to give in a powerful way, what we have to do is understand that powerful giving starts with purposeful living. Where you get determined, you say, I'm going to set some things up, and it doesn't sound like super exciting, and uh, we got to, it, it got to be spiritual. No, it doesn't have to be spiritual or complicated. It just got to be purposeful. So I want to help you with that. We're going we're gonna to give you some really practical things, and don't miss this stuff. If you've been like, man, I've gone through life, I've done stuff. If you've messed up with money, if you've done great with money, I said, don't miss this stuff. This is simple, but it is powerful. Number one thing you got to do is you need to grow in self-control. Because here's the truth, a lack of control leads to a lack of options every single time. If you lack control and you're studying, and you're right now you're in high school and you're like, man, I'm just not even thinking about school, and you lack control and you start failing your classes, pretty soon you're going to have a lack of options in what colleges you can get into. Right? Or, or you say, I'm going to lack control uh, with my job, and I'm not going to do what I'm supposed to do. If you lack control in your job, then pretty soon you're going to lack control of options of what you want to do. If you lack control with your body, and you can't control your body in a healthy way, where you're doing and treating your body the way God intended us to, pretty soon you're going to lack options on how your body operates. 
It's just a natural progression. Progression. If you lack control with your finances, you will lack options later with your finances. You need self-control. And for some of us, you got to make it easy. You got to make it fun. And you need to get some people around you to help you with this. This is the reality: is you can learn to control your spending, or your spending will control you. So what you got to do first is you got to write. A, you got to build a budget. Nobody cheers for the budget. I don't know. Y'all are like, oh, great. Some of you are like, no, because budget for you is like the other bad B word, right? Like, I don't want to do a budget. We don't want to have it. But here's right. A budget, what it helps is it helps you know where and when you can have fun. And a budget is telling your money where to go, not simply tracking where it went. Smart people track their money on the 31st of the month. Wise people tell their money where to go on the first of the month. So you got to tell it where to go. And some of you, you've never done it before. Guess what? This is your lucky Sunday because I'm going to help you with that real quick. And this is also what I'd say. With budgets, it's not, it's not a time to show off how much you know about Microsoft Excel. Some of you, again, half of you in the room love me right now. Half of the room hate me right now. Because half of you are like, I don't really care about money. We just do, it just comes and goes. And I just, we always have enough is what you think. The other half of you have been like, I'm trying to get them on a budget forever. And they're not listening to me. And look, God's person up there on the stage, he's telling you right now, God's message to you is you got to listen to me on our budget. That's not what we're saying. The budget, this is how you, you write a budget. You write down your income at the top. That's what you take home. That's your play money. That's whatever you do. Your income. Some of you, your problem is you don't know what your income is. And then you write down all your expenses, but you give, save, spend. You write down all your expenses, and you get to the bottom of things that don't matter as much, and you go, okay, we don't have any money for that, so we just can't spend money on that. Because that's not as important as giving and saving and providing for our basic human needs. And what, what having a budget, especially if you're married, especially if you're married, what it does, it is aligns your priorities. And this is something you have to have in marriage. Because if you don't have close priorities in your marriage, or if your priorities are not aligned in uh, your marriage, like pretty soon you will not be aligned in marriage, and pretty soon you won't be with that person. That's just real life, real talk. And what happens is uh, when you talk about your financial dreams together on a regular basis, it brings your hearts together, and you talk about things, you learn about things. Did you know 94% of people who said they have a great marriage talk about their money dreams regularly? So if you want to have a great marriage, do what great marriages do and talk about your money. But you start with your income. You're going to list all your expenses. And again, what this helps is it helps you know where and when you can spend. See, there's two kinds of people in the world. There's savers and there's spenders. Somebody clap because they're one of those. I don't know. But here's what I'd say. Let's not call them savers because savers, like, you can justify that. Like, Jesus saves people. I save money. I'm like Jesus. You're like the devil because you just spend money and you're taking all my money, but I'm like Jesus. So how about hoarders? Because that's what we are. Like in our marriage, like my wife Rachel, she's a spender. I'm the hoarder. I don't want to spend money on anything. True story. When we were first married, within the first year of marriage, she wanted to take some money. We had no money. She wanted to go to Salvation Army to buy some clothes. And we had got in a fight because I didn't want to give her $20 to go spend at Salvation Army on clothes. I had a problem because I just want to hold on to all the money and it's a security for me. I don't want to spend it. I don't want to do anything. And she's like, babe, like, I'm not spending hundreds of dollars at the mall. I'm trying to go get secondhand goods at a store and you won't be okay with this. And this is where I'd say if you're a hoarder or you're a saver, what you need to do is you need to come together and have a discussion. 
And both of you need to change things on the budget. Because what happens sometimes is generally spenders don't really care about it. And the hoarders, the nerds in the family will come with their Excel spreadsheet with their three tabs and everything's color grabbed. And you're like, hey, I'm going to show you this. And you're going to lay it out. And this is what we do. And all these numbers, hey, here. And then what happens is the saver is overwhelmed or they don't care. And they just, or the spender is overwhelmed. They don't care. And they go, okay, fine, that's fine, whatever. And then they go off and do whatever they want because they don't really agree to the budget. And it's funny, but how funny is the fight that happens because of that? It's not good. Did you know one of the leading causes of divorce in America is money fights and money problems? Like, you, you, you research stuff and you see things and your eyes are open and you go, man, like, like, if I want to have a good marriage, I need to do what good marriages do. If I want to have a free life, if I want to be able to sacrifice freely to God, I can't be sacrificing myself for all the stuff that I want. So you got to give, you got to save, you got to spend. And that's what I say to you. It takes you about three months to get it right. It's going to take you three months to get it right because you don't know how much you spend. You think you spend way less on groceries and going out to eat than you actually do. And you will be shocked at how much you spend. It takes three months. And also, a budget, it's like a theory. It's a living document. So what my wife and I do, we write down, we, we each get money. And this is the thing. A budget helps me have fun with money because I'm a hoarder. I don't want to spend money ever. But it helps me know I can spend money on this thing. I can blow money on this stuff. Like, we have money in our budget where we could buy and do whatever we want with. That's not illegal, right? I can go and blow money on anything that I want to. My wife does not care at all because it is such a small portion of our income. I'm not being irresponsible with it. Because part of work is getting payment, and part of getting payment is enjoying life with what you earned. And God's okay with you having fun with the money. You don't have to go to the poverty side of things. But you've got to take about three months to get it right and work through. And what happens, my wife and I will go through things, and we'll have something happens with a car. And we got to sit down and talk, okay, so where can we take money from in our budget to pay for this? What is less important? And generally things that are less important are all the fun things, to be honest. It's going out to eat, it's buying new clothes, it's Starbucks, it's lunches, it's whatever. And this is where you guys say, okay, what really matters the most? You've got to build a budget. And what happens too is when you go and you know you're going to record it, you know you're going to write it down because that's what you've got to do. Because otherwise it's just a theory and it's pointless. You write it down. If you know you're going to record it, it makes you evaluate if you can afford it. My wife and I use this. I told you guys, don't use your spreadsheets. If you want to use a spreadsheet, that's okay. Do what you want with that. But what we use is an app called Every Dollar. It's one word, Every Dollar. Go find that. Download that right now. It's a free app. You make an account. My wife and I both have the app on our phone. And when I buy lunch, I go out buy lunch. While I'm waiting for my lunch, I pull out my app. I put in what I paid for lunch, and I see how much I have left at the end of the month. So sometimes the end of the month, I'm like, man, I don't know, you got that dollar menu at McDonald's because I don't have any money left because I got to go out to nice places to lunch earlier in the month. But you record it, you track it together, and then it helps you think through what you can afford. The second thing you got to do, you got to build a budget, but you got to have an emergency fund. You give, you save, you spend. Life will happen. And I know you think that you got your great car deal and you got 60 months, 0% financing, that's totally great. Five years is a long time and you probably will have a financial hardship over the course of five years. And when you borrow money, Scripture says this, Solomon says this, when you borrow money, you become a slave. He said it this way, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Now, I know there are people here, you've used debt, and you're like, man, I've used debt, and it's actually helped me get ahead. And I've, like, like, I'm not going to argue with you about how you use debt and try to do things, because honestly, I'm not that bright. But what Solomon said, which if you, if you look at Solomon's life, he was an incredibly wise person. He said, you're a slave. 
It doesn't matter what you're using debt for. You are a slave to that debt. And if you don't think you're a slave, just try not to pay it back. And you will realize they will take everything. And they will get theirs. And the big thing with debt, the problem with debt, and my wife and I, like, we, we worked hard to get out of debt. And the, the reason why we want to get out of debt, we want to stay out of debt outside of our house because we didn't have that cash to buy a house. And it's an you know, appreciating value of something, like cars and other things like that. They go down in value. A house goes up in value. So like, that's actually a wise thing to do, what I tell you to do, if you're ready to do it financially. But here's the reality. Is you don't account for risk when you're borrowing money on debt. Or maybe you didn't account for risk. Again, you see the big, shiny things. You go, oh, man, it's, this is going to work out the best. It's going to be awesome. Like, yeah, I get it. And you think you got a great deal on that because the, the salesman told you you got a great deal. But are you accounting for risk? Are you accounting for any kind of financial hiccup? Because the reality is most of us are living paycheck to paycheck. We have no savings. And when anything happens, instead of having cash to go and draw on and pay for something, we have to go to credit. And then we're paying 25% interest on our credit cards. And if you think you got such a great deal, then answer this question. How come all the biggest buildings and stadiums right now have bank names on them and not your name on them? Like, you think about that. You look around any skyline, any new stadium they're building for sports teams, whatever. Most of them are going up their financial institutions, not because they're evil and bad, but because they're smart and they're really good at business. And we're not that good at business. you got to get an emergency fund. The last thing you got to do. Last thing you've got to do, I talked about this, is you got to get out of debt. you got to work hard. you got to get out of debt. And can you just imagine three months from right now? I told you to take about three months to be able to, to build up uh, and, and get your budget going. Like, imagine three months from right now. Proverbs says it this way. It says, the wise store up choice food in olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. Now, again, a wise person means they have surplus. They have stuff waiting when life happens. Imagine three months from now, instead of regretting what you spent on Christmas, you can just enjoy the stuff you had and you're not worrying about that Christmas hangover that's coming in February when you get the bank statement or the credit card bill. Like imagine three months from now, you feel a sense of, of strength and security because you know you have some savings and you've never had savings and you feel comfortable and you can sleep better at night. And you might not get this. It's potentially, uh, guys, you don't get this with your wife. Not having money is a big issue for your wife because she doesn't feel safe and secure, chances are. And you need to, you may, oh, no, I'm fine. Okay, I'll earn anything. Like, no, math still applies to you. I don't care how successful you are, how smart you are. Math always applies. And when you can take and be wise with your money, it can help you have a healthy life in a number of ways. Imagine three months from now, the fights that you're currently having about money are almost all gone. And instead of planning to leave, you're planning retirement with that person. Imagine how your life could look crazy different where you're able to go, I have money to actually give and be generous now. I thought giving was just a rich, wealthy person thing. And then I realized that because I live on less than I make, I am wealthy and I have access to give away. Imagine how your life would be different and how much God could use you in incredible ways where he's the power coming in. And you say, because I'm not sacrificing myself for so many other things, I can sacrifice myself for what God has for me. Because here's the reality. At the end of the day, it's not about money. I know you think about it and you're like, dude, you just talked to me for half an hour all about money. Like, it has to be about money. It's not about money. 
You check out the, the rest of this story with David. They have this, this incredible worship celebration offering where they're giving away, and David's giving stuff, and the leaders of all of Israel come together, and they're all throwing piles of gold and silver because they're saying, God is better than all of my stuff. And this is how David ends it when he, he prays to God and he thanks God for who he is. This is his prayer. But who am I? And who are my people we should give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. We have given you only what comes from your hand. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight. As were all our ancestors, our days on the earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from whose hand? his hand. David knew it was not from him and it was not for him. It was for God. It all belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I've given willingly and with honest intent, and now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. Lord, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep these desires and thoughts. Where? My heart, see, God is not after your stuff. He's after you, but he knows you give your heart to your stuff so easily. I give my heart to my stuff so easily. And when I give my heart to my stuff, I don't have anything left to give to what God has. David even put it this way in one of his other poetic writings. And somebody said that the sacrifices of God, the sacrifices that God delights in is a broken and contrite heart. It's not in stuff. Some of us, if we're honest, we've been giving and giving. You're thinking, man, this giving thing isn't working because I keep giving and it's not helping me. Does God have your heart? Have you given him your heart, not just your stuff? And some of us, we, we realize we give so much of ourselves away to so many other things and we want God to work for us. We want God to move for us, but we also want to move for God. And today you're realizing you can change. That's the thing that's so incredible about money and about talking about this is when your heart changes, your finances can change. The debt you have right now, what you make right now, how you spend your money right now, that can always change because you can change it. When you give God your heart, God will do something spectacular with it because that's what he's after anyways. But even Dave talks about he's given with integrity and the desires, and this is what he's saying. In two weeks, we have this for our city offering. I hope you give big. I want to give big. I hope we, I mean, we want to do $30,000. You know, a couple of years ago, we gave $10,000. And last year, we're like, we're going to do $20,000. Oh, my goodness, this is a big, crazy number, $20,000. Yo, let's be real. Like, we have people in our gathering. You got $30,000 in the bank account right now. Like, the resources are here, and God is coming to us and saying, would you give? Would you give big, and would you give because everyone matters to God, whether they matter, whether God matters to them or not? And we can live that out and show that. And what I'd say, too, is the last thing is if you don't have $30,000 in your account, don't diminish your gift because what you believe about money will show up in how you behave with your money. And it's always, you see, giving in the Scriptures is always talked about a percentage. Because if I give away $3,000 but I keep $90,000 and you give away $100 but you only keep $1,000, you gave away a whole lot more than I did. And that's what God marvels at is the percentage of our giving. We're able to give and sacrifice, and we're able to live in ways that God intended us to live. Because, again, who can drill wells in Africa? It's wealthy, generous people. 
Who can pay for a single mom's light bill to be paid for the whole year in advance? It's wealthy, generous people. And we are wealthy and we get to be generous, but we have to be purposeful with it. Would you all stand with me as we close in prayer today, both campuses? We're going to pray together for God to do something powerful through us and also prepare our hearts for his offering. And we're going to have in two weeks. I hope that you plan right now. And for some of you, it's really practical. Like, I'm not going to go out to eat for two weeks. I'm going to use that money. I'm going to give that money later. I want to give cash to what God is doing. Like, make small choices now and do not diminish your gifts because every gift given in a joyful way is powerful for what God would have to do. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for what you're doing in our gathering. God, thank you for the generosity of people. God, people who give all year long. God, it is incredible and it is crazy to see the amount that people give. And God, we see stories like the one of David where he gave so much away, but God, you blessed him in incredible ways because he was wise and he was responsible. God, I pray that we could be wise people that we could be responsible, God, that we could do something incredible with what you've entrusted us to have, and God, that we would give you the most valuable thing, which is ourselves. God, that we, we would not simply give money, but God, we would give our whole heart to you. God, that you would not just use our money to meet the needs of the people around us. God, you would use our hands and our feet. And God, we would be able to go to people who are far from you, God, people who are confused about you, God, people who aren't even sure what they believe. And we'd be able to love them. And God, be your movement here in our gathering. God, we're grateful that you choose to use us and we ask that we could continue to receive your power as we move out to be the living sacrifices you called us to. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed this message, would you do us a favor and rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher? You can actually now listen to us on Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. Basically, this just helps us get the message of Jesus out to more people. And the other thing I would say is, we would love for you to join us at one of our gatherings. One of the things we work really hard at is to create a safe place for people to be able to ask questions, to be able to investigate and grow in their faith if they're longtime followers of Jesus. And one of the things that we say a lot is regardless of what background you're coming from, you can belong here before you believe. And so if you want more information about our church, our location, service times, just go to our website at centerpointfl.org.